Well, it's great to see you this morning. Welcome to Fairdale Christian. So glad that you're here today. And, you know, uh, we're, I'm excited because, uh, and it's a great day because we are starting a brand new series that I've been looking forward to for a while now. And uh, it's, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians verse by verse. Uh, if you haven't joined a group yet, I sure hope that you will. Uh, but I'll talk about that in just a moment. But a couple of little updates for you that we just want to kind of make you aware of. Number one, if you're new, if you've only been around for a few weeks and we haven't had the chance to, to properly introduce ourselves, we would love the chance to say hi, get to know you a little bit. Uh, there is a special card in the back of the chair in front of you that we call a belong card. And, uh, and if you're ready to be known, you say, man, I'd kind of like to, uh, I'd kind of like to you know, meet somebody or at least I'm, I'm willing to put my name on something so we know who you are. If you'd fill that card out and swing by the next steps area in the lobby as you leave today, we've got a little gift we'd love to give you just to say, hey, thanks for being here and, and glad that you kind of made this part of your, your weekly rhythm uh, this week. Glad that you're here. But uh, man, we had a big, big weekend this past week. Uh, if you were around for any of it, man, a lot of great stuff. On, uh, on Friday night, we had our, our fifth annual Night of Hope concert. It's been five years since we have uh, started to celebrate recovery ministry. And that concert they do to kind of raise awareness has just grown and grown and grown. And I know there are a lot of people that made decisions for, for Christ on Friday night and just a great opportunity. So it was just, just a great night. I want to celebrate those guys and just give it up for all the work that they did because I know it was a big, big deal. And uh, man, there was, a, there was a lot of money in the parking lot yesterday if you happened to swing by for the car show. Uh, man, my favorite, there was a 1965 Shelby Cobra Roadster out there. So that's a kind of pricey car there, but it, it was awesome. I just appreciate all the, all the help and volunteers and just a, just a neat thing that we get to host. You know, it's kind of fun to, to just be a little part of that. But uh, hey, another thing I want to let you know, last, last Sunday night, we had our life group launch party and about 100 people that came here. We had a great meal, great time together. Was, if you were here, raise your hand. And it's it a, it a good time, right? Did you have fun? Good. We're glad you guys were here, and, and we are kicking off life groups this week. Matter of fact, some of them are starting this morning, and uh, if you are not part of a life group yet, but you want to be, make, or if you're confused, I know there's a little bit of an issue. Some people are having trouble signing up. Just swing by next steps before you leave. Swing by, talk to one of the volunteers there, or if you see Phil Miller, uh, he'll be able to take care of you. We've put a lot of effort into this study. Uh, one of the things you're going to get as you join a uh, group is one of our books that's going to go along with this series. We've developed all this stuff in-house. And if you've already gotten your book this morning, if you're in a group, one of the things I want to remind you of is at the end of every week, there is a section for sermon notes. So we would encourage you, bring this with you on Sunday morning so that you can jot down some notes from what we're going to discuss in here Questions you may have or things that stuck out to you so that you'll kind of remember if you're anything like me by, by Monday morning. I can't even remember what I preached about. So, uh, you know, jot it down and take it to your group, and, and we're really excited to, to go deeper over the next few weeks together. A lot of you all know this guy. This is J.R. Horn, and a friend of mine, he's been serving as our interim youth minister. And I asked him to come kind of give us a little update about student ministry and some things cracking there. Well, first off, what's this I hear about goldfish crackers and <laughs> That was supposed to be a secret that just stayed in this room. <laughs> it's a, it's mm. a great combo. Don't knock it till you've tried it. <laughs> I, uh, I was on the way over in the car this morning. I was talking to, talking to Eli, and 
And he's like, Dad, what's wrong with your voice? I'm like, sorry, man, I, I just need to switch to menthols. Um, <laughs> we, I kind of think it makes a, you sound like Barry White a little I bit, know. kind of soothing. <laughs> I, I might have got a little rowdy at the varsity football game yesterday and <laughs> might have uh, one step away from entering the field to uh, let a referee know that he was no longer needed and take on the... Oh, you're one of those parents. Yeah, I was one of oh, those parents. Okay. So anyway... Our students, it has been a fantastic summer and start to fall with our students. I, I, I was born and bred for ministry and specifically student ministry. And uh, for the, the, the 11 years before I found myself in Kentucky, that's what I did. I loved student ministry. I sweat and bled with 6th through 12th graders because that is some of the fantastic leaders in our church today. Oftentimes we look at students and say, well, you're going to be great leaders of tomorrow. Incorrect. They are massive leaders of the church today. And what I've noticed is that uh, the Fairdale students is exactly that right now, is that uh, as a church, we consider ourselves, we want to be real people rooted in Jesus. And the same thing goes with our students. We want to be real students rooted in Jesus. And that's what we've been doing over the past summer. Have been doing a lot of tweaks, a lot of changes, bringing on some brand new volunteers, honoring some some legacy volunteers that have been there, and then now we're moving into a stage where we kind of look at our surroundings to say, how do we root students in Jesus in this classroom or with these tables, with these chairs, with these surroundings? What we found out is is that we need to do a bit of an upgrade. We need to do a bit of a bit of a change and a bit of an overhaul to where, what we have and what we're doing to continue to drive these students toward Jesus. Brandon, by the way, when we started this summer, we averaged about 20 students. Yeah. We're averaging 30 now Yeah, through great. this summer growth. That's great. That's su- summer growth. Yeah. Well, and, and the summer is a lot of time, a lot of student ministries I know that shut down for the summer yeah. have zero. Exactly. So that's great. So here's what we're doing. We're kicking it into high gear in the next few weeks. We're going to be overhauling four of the student life group rooms and the worship room. Not because we want to see new paint, not because we want to see new flashy stuff and technology because we are intentional about rooting students in Jesus. If we can if we can see 10 new students on average attend the student ministry over the summer, what can we do during the school year? How can we equip them to allow them to know that this is a place where you can be real, a real student and rooted in Jesus. So one of the things that we're trying to do is look at the aesthetics. How do we do that? Because sometimes it's not just paint. It's a welcoming place. It's something where I feel like someone's noticed me and thought about me when I walk into this room. So right now, one of our couches looks like it has leprosy, and it is flaking everywhere. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to overhaul it. And here's some concepts, and here's some design ideas from our volunteers, from you guys here, have said, look, we, we want to put our talent into this. And so here's what we're trying to do to provide a warm and welcoming place, not only just for students, But for our adults as well, the student rooms are used every Friday night for CR where we see a massive amount of people come in and get to know Jesus for the first time that says, I'm loved through my hurts and habits and hangups. And so we want to continue to pour into, man, the, the lobby renovations are fantastic. Now let's just move it on over into that room. And what would it look like? Brandon, what would it look like if we have a seventh grader come in for the first time and they walk into the room and go, wow, in their mind they go, I belong here. Yeah. I mean, we have it on the back of our cards. Yeah. This is a way that we can show our students that you belong here. So one, one little element, and I'm done with this. Oftentimes, we've said it before, like we don't have babysitting services. We have children's ministry. Mm-hmm. We don't have a place for you to drop your teens off. We have a student ministry. How can we prepare the students 
as their leaders of today to move and to be integrated into the service. So a lot of the technology updates that we do, the soundboard, the computers and everything is going to mirror what we have in the back. So that, it's, it's a pipeline that we can train our students to be familiar with the controls, the iPad. You see Sarah walking around today with an iPad and the sliders, that's controlling the sound. Mm -hmm. How can we train them, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, by all of a sudden high school, you start to see high school is running the entire yeah. main service. That's the goal. Yes. We get our students that are involved in service. Because yeah. it's not a babysitting service, Brandon. It is a pipeline, and that's what you guys are doing. And yeah. that is awesome. That's what we're starting. Love for you to be a part of that. If you have any questions on how you can support that physically, tangibly, whatever, see Brandon, see me, we would love to have you guys involved because we are desperate and we mean it. We will die on this hill of seeing real students rooted in, rooted in Jesus. Yeah. And I would add to that, uh, we're also looking for support financially because yep. all that stuff you mentioned... None of it's cheap. No. And you mentioned last week, how, how long has it been since we've actually made a financial investment into the student ministry about, back about then? About eight years. Eight years. Yeah. yeah. So it's time. And we're going to do it. We're going to do it right in such a way that it moves students through the, a, a way that they're trained. They can be fully integrated into the life of the church. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then don't forget, we are really close with one of our um, student ministry candidates. Uh, just an update on the process. Brandon and I have been interviewing several people, and we have someone that... Um, we, we believe is, is going to make a, a really great impact here. So probably a couple more interviews in several more weeks. Hopefully we will uh, come up here with a, a really awesome announcement for you. But if you wouldn't mind praying, that's the best way to be involved in this. If you would mind praying that, that God would speak clearly to the candidate and then to us to figure out, is this the person that fits the culture? Do they want it? Do they have it? Do they like it? And do they want to drive this forward that we've started of seeing real students rooted in Jesus? So please be in prayer with us on that one. Awesome. Yep. Thanks, man. Thanks, I appreciate buddy. it. Give him a round of applause. He, he's been a, JR's been a great, a great, great asset to us, uh, especially over the last few months. Now, I, I'm excited. Anytime we get to start a new series, I'm always excited. We're going to go through, as I mentioned, the New Testament book of Philippians. And uh, as we set up our time together, just want to kind of start with this observation. The, uh, the, the U.S. Declaration of Independence says this, and I quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I don't know if you caught that or not, but what it just said there is, here's some guarantees for you. These are, these are rights that you have. Life, no problem. Check. Got it. Liberty, you got it. Happiness, good luck. We hope that you find it. You're welcome to try. Go ahead and pursue it. But not very many people seem to be able to find that. You're welcome to. We live in a joyless, frustrated, and angry world. You know how many of us, we watch the news and we, as we watch it and it's scrolling through. And some of us are, are way overly obsessed with it, by the way, 24-7 news stuff. But we watch it. There is no good news. There's no good news. It's just stuff that's attention-grabbing and, oh, it's, it's negative, 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 negative. And, you know, let's pit this person against that person and group this group against that group. And you're like, man, that's, there's, nothing, there's nothing good to watch. That's why we open this book. Because when we open this book, this is where we get good news. This is the great news about the joy of the Lord. That's what, even what the word gospel means. The word gospel, it means good news. But we 
live, all of us, we live in a country that was kind of started as an experiment in the pursuit of happiness. And so what many of us do is we're doing that. Like, I'm, right, I'm, I'm supposed to be looking for happiness. What will make me happy? So where do we look? We look at our culture. We look at ourselves. Like We look at what's around us, and every commercial, every magazine cover, every billboard advertisement that you see all says the same thing. If you buy this outfit, you'll be happy. Or you have this, this watch or this piece of jewelry, or you, you, know, you, you buy this truck, or if you have this flat stomach, or if you buy this hamburger, this particular one at this drive-thru, that's going to finally be the thing that does it, and it'll make you happy. And we've all experienced this, you, you know, because marketers are so great at this. We take the bait, you acquire the thing, whatever it is, and the moment that you get it, there's an immediate like buyer's remorse, the letdown, kind of like, well, I thought this was going to scratch the itch, but it didn't do it for me, and so I guess it's something else. There's got to be something maybe, maybe a little bigger, maybe it's a, a, a relationship. I need to pursue, or it's a possession, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a trip to the beach. Maybe if I could just go take a trip to the beach and put my hot dog legs out on the sand and take a picture of them and put it on Facebook, maybe that's the thing. That's going to really make me happy, and that's going to do it. And, w- and we always end up with the same result. Blaise Pascal, uh, 17th century Christian philosopher, said that we tend to be miserable. Like, that's kind of our default. We tend to be miserable, but we don't like to think about being miserable. So we create diversions so that we'll think about something else. Right? We we tend to be kind of not happy people. So what can I do to take my mind off of my misery? So what do we do? We go shopping. (laughs) We go buy things. Or we take trips. Or we, we pursue relationships. Sex, alcohol, drugs, gambling, a double bacon cheeseburger with Krispy Kreme donuts as the bun at the state fair. Gross. Why do we do it? Because I think that might make me happy. That's the number one selling food item at the state fair, by the way. Nasty. But, hey, I'm going to go for it. Maybe it'll make me happy. And we end up with a lot less money, a lot more debt. Now we're pre-diabetic and we're still not happy. Why, why can't I find it? Where, where is it? Our culture is obsessed with this in every area of our life. We are obsessed with trying to be happy. I want to be happy. What's going to do it? What's going to, and we're chasing this stuff like crazy. Everywhere you turn, every infomercial, every magazine has got you know, you're standing in line at Kroger and you see the, the, the magazine, three steps to happiness or seven, seven ways you can live the perfect life. Of course, none of them mention God or Jesus Christ. And yet we have all this information, right? We, we keep buying the books and we keep, you know, trying to follow the steps to do the things that they tell us to do. And yet the numbers don't lie. One in six, on average, one in six. Americans over the age of 12 are on some form of antidepressant right now. One in six. Now, I'm not trying to knock antidepressants. There's some people that have a legitimate health need, and that's, that's great. But there's not one in six of us that have the same health conditions on anything else. One in six. 
It says, I am so unhappy. I'm really unhappy to the point that I need to be medicated. And there's the rest of us that we haven't taken that step, but yet we would say we're kind of in the same boat. I just, how do I find happiness? I found a magazine this past week called Live Happy. That's the whole title, Live Happy. And here's what the, what their, they just launched this magazine recently, and here's what their website said. The Live Happy magazine launches to help readers live a happier life. They said happiness is happening, $11.17 billion being spent annually on self-improvement. It says the facts show that now more than ever, the concept of achieving personal happiness is at an all-time high. People are looking to family relationships, careers, and personal achievement, desperately seeking happiness, but we're finding more questions than answers. But never fear, because the new Live Happy magazine and website launching today will be the first lifestyle magazine completely dedicated to sharing information and resources to assist in our timeless pursuit of happiness. Here's the very first cover Featuring Ron Howard, life more positive on love, family, work, and relationships. Can you imagine being so desperate for joy that you say, help me, Ron Howard. (laughs) Opie's all grown up now, you know. I'm not knocking Ron Howard either, but man, we're, we're chasing some kind of joy. But the good news is that Joy isn't hiding. It's not hidden. It's not, a, it's not like some kind of a code that we've got to find the secret combination to. The problem is we're looking in all the wrong places. We keep going back to the same broken wells, thinking, well, maybe this time. Maybe this will work this time. Joy is not about what's around you. It's about what's inside you. God's joy is bigger than all of your pain and all of your problems. God's joy is so much, this is a a deep and profound joy that God gives to his children and it is not available to those who are not his children. This is why the world can't figure this out. Because what we're talking about, it's it's this supernatural thing that is not available to those who are outside of Christ. It is only those of us who have the, the live with the indwelling Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have that joy. And, and, and here's a, a great way to, to understand it or to, to grasp the concept of what we're talking about is that joy is internal stability in the midst of external chaos. How many times we run into somebody who is outside of Christ, they have no relationship with Jesus whatsoever, and they look at a faithful person man or woman of God, and they say, you know, going through problems, going through chaos, going through whatever, and, and they say, I, I just don't understand how you're, how you're doing this. I don't understand how you're getting through this. What is it that you figured out that I haven't figured out? What is it that you have that I don't have? It's joy. The scripture even tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It is internal stability in the middle of whatever's going on, external chaos. Joy embraces, and this is what I want us to understand. This is not like crazy, but joy embraces the pain. But it, at the same time, even though we're embracing the pain around us, it also encourages us 
to take a risky chance on trusting that God's plan is better than my plan. We just sang about that. That song, New Wine, I love the words of that. One of the lines that said, when I trust you, I don't have to understand. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty deep. When I trust God, I don't, I don't have to understand. I don't have to have a, you know, everything lined out for me because we know that God's ultimate love is going to overcome in the end. That his destiny for my life is going to be good and worth it. My joy is not determined by outward struggle. It's not affected by what's happening around me. It's, it's a gift of God's presence regardless of what's happening. And Philippians, the book of Philippians is God's guide to deeper joy. You want to find it? Here it is. So as we're easing into this today, um, you know, today's kind of introduction, we're going to start in chapter 1 and cover about 14 verses. But I I know it's really important for us to understand the background of what's happening. And I've told you this before, but when you're reading, especially, when you're reading Scripture, especially the New Testament, but really all of it, you've got to understand the background. You've got to, when you're reading God's word, you have to ask yourself, what was happening in the lives of these people when this was written? And when you're reading New Testament letters that Paul wrote, you've got to know, what was happening in the lives of this group of people that he would write this letter, and why is he saying the things that he's saying? What, what was happening? And let me give you a little bit of background. The book of Philippians, is, like I said, it's, it's a letter written to the church in the city of Philippi. And uh, this was to a church that Paul actually started. It's interesting. If you want to know more about that, that church beginning up, when you go home today, read Acts 16. Acts chapter 16 records uh, the very beginning, the, the start of the church at Philippi. But normally what happens, so if, if Paul, and, and you'll see this in your small group book, there's, we put some timelines and there's some maps in there of Paul's journeys kind of around, you know, in different cities and where he went and how that what that looked like but uh normally what paul would do when he wanted to start a church he'd go into a city right whatever city and he would begin by preaching to the jews in the synagogues he would go to the synagogue that every city would have one where all the jews would gather for worship and those sort of things and he'd go there and he'd begin to preach jesus to them and then he would preach to the gentiles out in the marketplace or wherever they were when he arrived at the city of philippi there was no synagogue And that is significant because what was needed for there to be a synagogue in any city, the only thing that you had to have, you had to have 10 believing men. So if there were 10 dudes that believed in God, that was enough to constitute having a synagogue. There's no synagogue in Philippi, meaning they couldn't find 10 men there who believed in God or at least were practicing their faith in any meaningful kind of way. And, and uh, so what happened, Paul then, he found a group of women who'd been meeting together, and it was similar to how it is today. You know, let's just call it as it is. Ladies, pretty much in, in every respect, when it comes to our faith, you guys tend to be more committed, more faithful. Uh, it's, just, it's just the way that it is, and, and praise God for that. Thank God that we've got, you know... The guys, the knuckleheads in the room and not in the room today because we're at home, you know, because we didn't want to be here. Thank God for you ladies that keep praying and keep serving and keep loving and, dra- and trying to drag us to Jesus. Don't give up on us yet. We, we need you. We need you. But this is, this is what happens. Paul found this prayer group, group of ladies led by a lady named Lydia. 
And she was a successful businesswoman. We're told that she was a dealer in purple cloth, which would have been an expensive commodity uh, in that day. And, and Lydia is leading this prayer group. They're praying that you know, God would send someone to tell them more about the Messiah and whatever. And Paul shows up, tells them about Jesus. They're converted. And, and uh, Lydia basically funds the ministry there. She's successful. She kind of pays for what's taking place. And all of a sudden, you find God working in Philippi amongst these wonderful women who have come to, to, to love the Lord. And what's, what's really interesting to me is this, is this is the first church planted in what we now consider Europe. So you think about Europe and the churches that have been there for the last couple of thousand years these ancient cathedrals, I mean, all these places, these churches that have started and then sent missionaries out all over the world, churches that have been started and people that have been introduced to Jesus because of the church in Europe, it all began by the first fruits and the dedication and devotion of the very first church there, which is the church in Philippi, the church in Philippians that we're looking at. So by the time that Paul writes this letter, they were about 10 years old. Just kind of a new church. And Paul was, he was writing this letter, but he's in the city of Rome. He couldn't be with them at this moment. And what I would, what I would challenge you with is, and what I think about is that the, the church at Philippi is, is perhaps, if, if it isn't really, the best church in the New Testament. I think it's the best. They are, they're loving, they're joyful they are generous, they're, they're amazing and awesome. They're not perfect, but they are, they are just pretty incredible. And so the, the tone of Paul's letter, as we go through this, you're going to notice if you've read First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Timothy, Galatians, Ephesians, Romans, you're going to notice that his tone is different in the book of Philippians because they were different. In so many of his other writings, Paul's calling out just some boneheaded things that they were doing like what are you guys doing and why would you be doing this he's talking about all these terrible things but not in philippians his tone is different because their hearts were different in fact he doesn't even mention sin not one time in the book of philippians not once and it's not because they weren't sinful it wasn't because there was no sin but it was because they were so growing in their christ-like character the focus was on jesus not on their sin that's why he begins the letter like this he says this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to, to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. He doesn't start with, like some of his other legends, hey, this is Paul, and listen, I am an authority figure, and you need to listen to me, and this is why. You know, he just kind of begins with, hey, this is, this is your brother Paul, and man, I love you guys. This is, this is your friend. And then his joy and his love for them just comes pouring out in the very next line. He says, you know, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you, you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. We're still waiting for that day. 
But he says, I know that God's going to continue working in you and through you. He says, so, you know, it's, it's right. It is right. It is correct that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Boy, that is a pastor who loves his people. I mean, he is just, you just hear it pouring out. He's saying, I love you guys. I miss you. I am so proud of you. I know that God is doing great stuff in your life. And he's doing great stuff through you. The world's going to be changed because of you guys. And it's true, it did. It was. It still is. And, and he says, you know, you know what, I, what I think was one of the major themes of Philippians, for me as I read it, is that your problems are big, but God's joy is bigger. No matter how big your issues are. And, and problems, we've all got them. It's like, it's like elbows. We've all got at least two you know, we've all got a couple of problems. We've all got some pain. Some of you, some of you, your pain is physical. There's something in your body that's wrong and it hurts and every day is a, is a challenge. For some, it's financial. For some, it's emotional. For some, it is spiritual. For some, it is relational. But we all have problems. No, no one perfect in here. There, there are things that we're struggling to overcome. And we cannot understand, you know, we're, we're not sure what decision to make. You know, when you're looking at the issues that you're facing in your life, those things that are in front of us, they're big. But bigger is the joy of the Lord. It is so much larger, so much more powerful than the issues that we face. How do I know this? This is so awesome. This is great. Who's writing this? Paul's writing this, right? And the question, for those of you who know, you, you already know where I'm going. Where is Paul sitting right now as he writes this letter? He's in prison. In Rome. He's sitting in a Roman prison cell 24-7. He's chained to a Roman guard. Miserable situation. Falsely imprisoned. I mean, he, he shouldn't be there. So not many of us would, would be in that situation. You know, imagine yourself, if you can, okay? Let's say that for some reason, whatever, you are sitting in a, a, a prison cell in North Korea. And the only reason you're there is because they don't like you. Very uncomfortable position to be in. Uh, very dangerous. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They got nothing on you other than they just don't like who you are. Totally unfair situation, miserable environment, but there you are, and you're writing about joy. Either you're crazy, or there's something that you know that we don't know. There's something that you figured out that the rest of us are still wrestling with, and that's Paul. There's something that he knows. There's something that he's experienced that we're still we're still striving for it. He has this joy. He's not ignoring his circumstances. He's not denying where he is. This isn't like he's, you know, mental. He hasn't lost his mind. He, he knows the position that he's in. And, and, and this is the challenge for us as we, as we talk about this and we, we ease into this topic. 
I'm not asking you to plug your ears, close your eyes, and, and say, la, 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 everything's great, everything's great. That's not what we're doing. This isn't a check your brain at the door as you come in and, and ignore the fact that the world is hard, is, you know, kind of stinks and life can be pretty hard and painful. It's, it's not what that is at all. We're not ignoring anything. We're not denying anything. We just want you to know that God's joy is bigger. That it's a lot bigger and there's something else that you can experience that will be bigger than your problem. This is a deep and profound thing that God gives to his children that is not available to those who are not his children. He goes on and he says in verse 9, I, I'm praying for you. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. That is a crazy verse. What he's saying there. I want you to keep loving each other. And I want that to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. And I want you to keep on loving God. And I want that to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. And I want you to, to be growing in your knowledge and your understanding. So many people miss this in life. So many people miss this. I go to a lot of weddings. Uh, most of the time I'm officiating. And, and it, it's, it's, uh, but I, whenever I, when I ever get the chance to do that, I always like to take Megan with me because it's such a cheap date, man. We're going to get free food and you just come on and I could use the moral support. I don't know half, you know, pretty, I don't know most of these people. So at least she's there and I see somebody that I know, you know, but it's always, it's always funny to watch at a wedding. You've got, there are so many things going on and there's always a tension. Like we can't sit, we can't sit aunt gertrude with uncle bob you know because they haven't spoken in 15 years and was, oh and we gotta we gotta watch for this and there's always like weird relational things going on but there's so much funny stuff you got the bride and the groom who are there they're so nervous they both look like they want to puke but they're excited and they're in love and it's stars in their eyes and they're idiots and we all know you have no idea what's coming down the road for you but hey it's a good day we're here to celebrate you it's awesome you got all the groomsmen and all the bridesmaids. Anymore, they have like 20 each. It's like goes out, the, you know, they got to walk them out the building because there's so many of their best, they're just their closest friends, you know, of guys and girls. And they're all the same way too. I mean, you, they're just a bunch of hormone-fueled idiots. They're all there like, we're just, don't know what we're doing. And they're all trying to impress each other and hoping to swap phone numbers by the end of the night. You know, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a dumb thing. But at, at some point... In, in the ceremony, uh, every, every so often, not, not in every family, not, not all the time, but every once in a while, there'll be a, you'll see like a, some grandparents that are sitting there. And they really, 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 really love each other. And you just see them sitting. They're not up on the dance floor acting like fools. You know, they're not, these are the bridesmaids and groomsmen, they're acting stupid. The grandparents aren't into any of that stuff. They just sit there and kind of hold hands. And they sit there and kind of, you know, they'll say a word or two to each other. And maybe at some point in the, you know, in the ceremony, you see their eyes kind of well up. And maybe a little tear falls down out of grandma's eye or whatever. And they kind of look at each other and just smile. And you see that and you look at them. And they, they not only love each other, they like each other. There's some knowledge there. There's something that they know that a lot of us don't know. There's some understanding that they've grown in. There's something that they have 
they have worked through to get to some point. That commitment that they have, it, it, it's, it's, it's more than just, hey, we, we are in love, but we're also friends. Like, we can't, we can't live without the other. Paul goes on, he says, I want you to understand, and listen to this. He says, I want you to understand what really matters. This is verse 10. I want you to understand. Can we put verse 10 up on the screen? Some of us are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, and we still don't understand what really matters. This is Paul's hope and his prayer for the church. I want you guys to understand what really matters. So, when you get that, because of that, you will be able to live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. This is about lifestyle. He says there's something that's going to happen in you when, you when you understand the joy of the Lord. When you get that, guess what? It changes you. It changes how you live. I, I, I meet people all the time that say, oh, man, I love Jesus. But you look at their life, it is no different from this person who is just like an enemy of God. Like, no difference. They're running off to Vegas and like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I love Jesus, but I'm going to run to Vegas and, because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I mean, some of it itches, but it's still, you know, whatever. <laughs> You're welcome for that. But, but say, I, they say, I love Jesus. I'm like, no you, no, you don't. I know, it's still funny. We'll let it pass. <laughs> they say, I love Jesus. No, you don't love Jesus. You don't. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. No, you don't. You don't. You might love the idea of loving Jesus, but you don't love Jesus. You might believe in Jesus, sure, but belief and devotion are not the same thing. Belief and following are not the same thing. And Paul is saying, I want you to understand what really matters. You're going to get out of life what the best part of life. When you understand what is most important, guess what? It changes your life. You can't say, well, I'm going to go on living the way I've been living because it doesn't work. It's like, it's like what does purple smell like? It's, that, that doesn't work like that. I want you to understand what really matters so that you can live pure, blameless lives until the day that Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God has to do with character is who you are who are you becoming this is the fruit of the loving joyful life of jesus christ in you through it it changes how you live it changes what you think about it changes what you get all worked up about It, it changes the way that you see yourself it changes the way that you see others and and you have a grace for people because you know that god has a grace for people this past week, uh, uh, there was a, a guy named Dr. Jack Cottrell passed away. Uh, and a lot of you probably maybe have never heard that name. He was a professor at Cincinnati Bible College for years. I, I didn't go to CBC, but, uh, but I'd heard of him. And he worked with my father-in-law for, for several years uh, at, at my father-in-law's church. He was the teaching pastor there and under, my, under Megan's dad. And um, he, I have a lot of friends who took... Bible classes with him. He's a brilliant guy. He's written a ton of books that people are just like 
you know, that keep on the top shelf, like, oh, man, this is like, I got my Bible, and then I got my book by Jack Cotfer. It's just, you know, that, that good. And uh, he was always, and, like, he's just a strict guy, like, real strict. And I know at Bible college, he wouldn't allow boys to wear shorts in class. You know, you, oh, man, you couldn't wear earrings or anything like that. But uh, I remember one time I was invited to preach at my father-in-law's church. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you, you'd think, oh, that must have made you nervous because you're going to preach in your, you know, your, in, at your father-in-law's pulpit. I say, really? I wasn't nervous about preaching for my father-in-law. I was nervous because Jack Cottrell is going to be sitting out there, I'm sure, crit- critiquing every word coming out of my mouth. You know, I'm probably going to get a grade when I get off the stage. You know, what a heretic I am or whatever. But uh, he passed away this past week. And I have some friends that had him as a professor. They said, you know, as strict as he was, just hard-lined. I said, I will never forget one thing he would say to all of his classes. He'd say, he'd say, guys, if ever you are accused of being too liberal with the grace of God, then you're almost there. The joy of the Lord, it changes us. It changes the way that we see the grace of God. It changes the way that we see ourselves. And to know that God doesn't just love me, but he likes me. Like He doesn't hang out with me because it's his job. He wants me to spend time with him, and he wants to spend time with me because, because I, I, am, I am highly treasured. You, you need to receive that as children of God today. You need to know that. And so Paul, he closes out this section we're looking at today by saying this. He says, and I want you to know, I really, really want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, they know that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul is in prison. It's not an ideal situation. He says, I know that the reason that I'm here, God is using me right here in this moment, and lives are being changed as a result. There's a greater purpose. And this is what I want you to know today. We talked about all of this, so I really get to this point right here. Where do you find joy? If it's something that's only available to the children of God, and, and we're searching for it endlessly... Where do we find it? This is the key. The source of our joy is in the faithfulness of God. We know that he has never left us. He has never forsaken us. No matter what comes my way, that God is with me. He is a friend that is closer than a brother. And every moment I know that he he is there. When we come to a place where we fully understand and we embrace the truth of God, that he is using everything around me, All of these hard things, the circumstances, the uncomfortable seasons, all of that stuff, he's using all of that to bring about his purpose in my life. And what he's doing in me to, to impact the lives of other people, that's where joy comes from. That's where we find contentment when we realize that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. That internal stability in the midst of external chaos. Some of you may not be feeling that today. You might think, I don't understand how God could possibly be doing something in this. Because you've had a diagnosis or you have relationship problems or you have, you know, job loss, financial, whatever. I don't see how God could possibly be doing something in this. Here's what you need to know. You need 
a purpose that is bigger than your pain. What is God doing in this? What, what does God want to do in that? What's the purpose? How could God be using me? What is God seeing me through right now? Does Paul have pain? Yeah. Does he have a problem? Yes. But his purpose, he knows, he recognizes that his purpose is bigger than his pain and his problem. We have to find purpose there. Paul says, I'm, I may be in chains. This is a very, very challenging situation. But because of this, because I'm here, God is using me right now. Lives are being changed for eternity amongst the palace guard, amongst the other prisoners. He's using, and, and, and that's what he recognizes. When we find that purpose to make it meaningful and valuable and useful and personal, purposeful, it's not wasted, but it's invested. And I need you to think of it this way. I need you to recognize this, that ultimately the example of Paul is that the purpose of Jesus Christ is bigger than any pain or problem I may have. And I can trust that. That's why he uses the word gospel. This is good news. It serves to advance the gospel. Paul's job was always advancing the gospel, telling people about Jesus. So I know we're, we're, we're wrapping up here, and I'm probably a little too excited and, you know, keeping you from other things. But let me, let me close with this. I'm going to just get real quick. I'm going to give you the cliff notes of my personal journey with joy. Uh, because I, I'll be honest, I struggle with this. I, I do not have this mastered. And it's not the Lord's fault, it's my fault, because I focus on the wrong things sometimes. But I've found that in my journey with joy, I struggle in two main areas. Number one is I will allow joy to be robbed from me when I think about regrets I have about the past. Things I could have done, should have done, fill in the blank. And I think about that, boy, I missed that opportunity, or boy, I wish I wouldn't have, that really, that really hurt, what, or something that someone did to me at somewhere, boy, they shouldn't have done that, that was unfair. So I'll let that kind of rob it from me. But the other thing that I still struggle to this day with is the thought that joy is for my future, not for my present. And so I will tell my thing, I will tell myself things like this, and I have told myself things like this, you know, once I'm married, then I'll be happy. Or once we have kids, then I'll be happy. Or once we buy a house, then I'll be happy. Or once I get a better job situation. Or once I, you know, we, we overcome some of these financial things. Or once we get to a certain stage of life, if I could just make it to the weekend. You know, if I can just get a little, you know, man, we've we got a three-day weekend coming up. Then, when I get to that point, then I'll be happy. The problem with that is when you get married, you find out you don't always get along. And you have kids, and guess what? They stress you out. And you get a job, and it's like your dream job, and once the newness wears off, you realize, oh, this is still just a job. You know, you get to a stage in life, and you're like, oh, well, my, well, I'm not young anymore. I can't enjoy it like I used to, or whatever. You, you get to the point, and you find out, oh, it just it leaves me longing for more. Joy is for now and for forever. It's not for future. It's not for when I finally arrive. Joy is for today. And I think that the secret to all of this is that God gives us joy so that we can enjoy the other things that he's given us. 
When you have the joy of the Lord, then you can enjoy the blessings in your life. Because I know a lot of people who are married and they do not enjoy their spouse. I know people that have kids, they do not enjoy their kids. They have jobs that they hate and they don't like the stress and they don't like their lives. They're not enjoying their life. They're just miserable, unhappy, joyless people. God has given us joy, contentment, that internal stability in the midst of external chaos so that we, his children, can enjoy everything else around us. So my prayer for us as we begin this journey together, as we go through the incredible book of Philippians, that we would be inspired and challenged. I hope I step on your toes at least a time or two. We would be lifted up and and just uh, encouraged by what God did through this group of people, how he used them to advance the gospel. And I hope that we would experience the same kind of deep and profound joy in our lives so that we can enjoy the things and the people and the circumstances that are all around us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this journey that we're about to go on together. I pray that you would use it as you, use, as you have the, the will to use everything in our lives to help us to grow to become more like Jesus. So I pray that you'd use this to help us to grow to become more like Jesus. Lord, for those that are here that are hurting and are struggling, Father, help to, to lift our heads, lift our eyes so that we can see you. Encourage us. Lord, for those that feel complacent today, for those that are hard, just the hearts are so as hard as stone, I pray you would begin to, to soften us once again to receive the good news of your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for loving us. It's in his name I pray. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.